This morning, uh, we're going to look at John chapter 4, John chapter 4, and if you have your Bibles, let's turn there together to John chapter 4. We're going to look at a story here that I would, <clears throat> wouldn't be surprised if most of you were very familiar with it. It's the story of the woman at the well, and uh, just to give you a little context as you're turning there, Jesus is, has been in Judea and southern, and southern Israel, and he has uh, had this interaction with Nicodemus in chapter 3. So right before this, he has this interaction with Nicodemus in chapter 3. Nicodemus, you remember, was a, was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was your prototypical church-going good person, so to speak. And Jesus tells him, you got to be born again. <laughs> And Nicodemus, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ working in his heart, realizes that he can't save himself. He must come to faith in Jesus Christ. He must be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we know that from the later chapters of the Gospels that he actually does that. But see, Jesus moves now. He goes north to go back to Galilee in chapter 4 where we're going to be today. And he has to go through Samaria and this is where he has this interaction with this Samaritan woman. And we have to realize that there's a direct contrast between the interaction with the Samaritan woman and the interaction with Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus, again, was this church, good church person who had to be taught that that wasn't going to get him there. And then we have this Samaritan woman. And the Samaritans and the Jews, you remember, were... There was bad blood between the two of them because back when the kingdom split after the time of Solomon being king, the northern kingdom uh, was separate from the southern kingdom, southern kingdom being Judea where Jerusalem was. And Assyria comes in at about 700 B.C. and they conquer the northern kingdom and they haul off the Jews, most of the Jews, into exile into other countries and at the same time Assyria imports other people that from other religions and transplants them into the northern kingdom and so what came out of that was you had these you had these uh, the Jews that were left over intermarried with these other people from these other religions and so you had this mixed religion so to speak they even formed their own uh, temple they even built their own temple place of worship in the northern kingdom and so the Jews down south looked up at the Samaritans up north as half-breeds at best, so to speak. And, of course, the Jews looked at themselves as the real people of God. They worshipped in Jerusalem. And, and so there was, this, there was this tension between the two. And here Jesus goes into Samaria, into enemy territory, so to speak, and has this interaction with the Samaritan woman. And it seems that he brings her to faith in himself and certainly brings a number of other Samaritan people to faith in himself as a result of that. You're going to see that here. And so that's the backdrop for the story and the interaction between Jesus and this woman at the well. And the message is simply this, that salvation is through Jesus for everyone. It's only through Jesus, but it is through Jesus for everyone, no matter who they are, no matter who we are. 
So let's look at the text together. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through 30 and then verses 39 through 42. This is God's holy inspired word. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and his departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. See, there you see the conflict in her voice. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water, this water in this well right here in front of us, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. Then the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither worship, when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Then the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, his disciples came and marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, What do you seek, or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men come see a man who told me all things I ever did could this be the Christ then they went out of the city and came to him verse 39 and many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified he told me that all that I ever did so when the Samaritans had come to him they urged him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, 
And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Let's pray together. Now, Lord, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us to focus. There are many things on our minds. There are many things weighing us down. And now, Lord, we, are, we need to focus on your word. We need to focus on what you would be saying to us through your Holy Spirit, through your word. And would you help us to do that? Would you give us uh, eyes to to see and ears to hear what you would say to us individually and and give us a faith-filled expectation that indeed you are going to speak to us right now. Help us to hear your voice. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. You may have uh, seen the show Born Survivor. I don't even, honestly, I don't even know if it's still on. But if you've seen that show, Born Survivor, you know that it was a, uh, the guy that's on the show, the star of the show, his name is Bear Grylls, and he is a uh, former military, uh, Special, Forces, uh, Special Forces British military officer who is an expert in survival. And on each show, the, the gist of the, the, the shows that I've seen is basically he's, he's parachuted in by a helicopter into some remote area, And he survives off the land several days, and then he makes his way through his survival skills to some kind of a pickup point, and he is picked up and taken back. Interestingly enough, there's a cameraman the whole time uh, filming him. Think about that, whatever you want. But it is a pretty good show. And but the first thing he does on all these on all these shows is he takes care of his basic life needs. The first thing he does is he finds some food. I remember one show, he, he killed a porcupine with some kind of a trap that he had set and cooked it and ate it, but it was food. Uh, he, he, he dug down beside this rock. This was, I think he was in Arizona or something. He dug down beside this rock on the north side of the rock, and he said, yeah, I go down about two feet out to find water. Sure enough, he found it. He found water down there below the sand. And then, of course, he'll make a shelter. He'll make some kind of a lean-to shelter. Uh, to spend the night and build a usually build a fire. It's only then that he begins to figure out the lay of the land and how he might make his way to the pickup point. But his first priority is to answer two questions. What does he need for life and how is he going to find it? Where is he going to find it? What does he need for life and where is he going to find it? And these are the two main questions, aren't they, for every human being? What do we need for life and where are we going to find it? And how we go about answering those two main questions and, and, and how we go about living our daily lives will determine whether we truly have life or not, whether we're truly just living, getting by, or we're living the abundant life that Jesus says that is fully available to us and he wants for us in John chapter 10 when he says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. How we go about answering those good questions will determine where we are on that scale. So let's, let's, let's ask the first question and answer it. What do we need for life? And, of course, we need physical need. We have physical needs and we have spiritual needs. You know, we do have a physical body and we do need, like I said, Bear Grylls on his show, you know, we do need food. We do need water. You know, our body, uh, in order to stay alive, uh, uh, one website says that 
if we stop eating, death will normally occur within two weeks, two to three weeks for a human being. We have to have food. And then there's water, of course. And by the way, you see here, you see this just briefly in verse 8, that his disciples went away into the city to buy food. I mean, they needed food. They needed physical food. Jesus needed physical food. But we also see that we need water here. Jesus, in verse 7, asked the woman for a drink. Now, it was a conversation starter for sure, but he had been traveling, and he was a man, and he needed water to drink just like we do. He got thirsty just like we do. And Duke University says that we can survive at about 100 hours at an average indoor temperature without water because our bodies are made of more than 60% water. And then, of course, there are spiritual needs. There are spiritual needs as well. Our body needs to be fed. Our soul needs to be fed. And that is what the focus of these verses are today. Because I think we already know the answer physically, but it's the spiritual answer to the the question, where do I find life spiritually? Where do I go looking for life spiritually is what we're talking about here today. Now, let's look at where we're not going to find life in our hearts, in our souls, where we're not going to find it. We're not going to find the the life in our hearts and in our souls. We're not going to find it in physical things. We're not going to find it in physical things. And this is what the Samaritan woman was doing. This is what all human beings often try to do, including Christians, including me. Let me read you something here from a woman named Peggy Lee who was uh, a well-known country music singer a number of years back. She says this, When I was 12 years old, my daddy took me to the circus. There were clowns, elephants, dancing bears, and a beautiful lady in pink tights flew high above our heads. And as I sat there watching, I had the feeling that something was missing. I don't know what. But when it was all over, I said to myself, Is that all there is to the circus? She goes on. Then I fell in love with the most wonderful boy in the world. One day he went away and I thought I'd die, but I didn't. And when I didn't, I said to myself, is that all there is to love? I know what, what you must be saying to yourselves. If that's the way she feels about it, why doesn't she just end it all? Oh, no, not me. I'm not ready for that final disappointment. Because I know just as well as I'm standing here talking to you that when that final moment comes and I'm catching my last breath, I'll be saying to myself, is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball if that's all there is. Now, what was Peggy Lee talking about at the heart of it all? What she was basically talking about is that she was She didn't maybe know that she was talking about this, but what she was doing was she was looking for life in her soul through physical things, through the circus, through love, through friends. She was looking to feed her thirsty soul with physical food, with the things of this world. And Peggy Lee and the Samaritan woman here are a picture of, of all humanity at times, or all Christians even at times. 
And we can become stuck on the physical water and the physical things of this world because we're looking for them to fill our souls. And you see this here with the woman here. Jesus is gently trying to, to bring her along and bring her out of the whole idea of the physical water and bring her to the whole living water, which is him. But she is so stuck on the physical, she couldn't see past it. And you see this here in verses 9 through 15 with this back and forth that Jesus has with her about the water. And she keeps going back to the well right in front of them. The water in the well, the water in the well, the water in the well. And Jesus is talking about living water, living water, living water, me. But she's stuck on the well. And the living water, of course, is Jesus is, is drawing off of an Old Testament uh, metaphor that you see in Jeremiah and Ezekiel about uh as, as, a, as MacArthur says, it was an Old Testament metaphor that spoke of the knowledge of God and his grace, which provides spiritual cleansing, spiritual life, and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. But see, the Samaritan woman couldn't connect the dots. She was stuck on the physical. And we can find ourselves looking for life and not even knowing it, soul life in the things of this world like food and drink, relationships with people. You see the Samaritan woman here, she's going through all these husbands. What is she looking for by going through all these husbands? She's looking for some kind of way to fill the hole in her heart, the hunger in her heart. I was talking to a RUF minister a few years ago who ministers at a campus in Charlotte, Queens University in Charlotte. And he was just telling me about some of the challenges that the students were facing and, and, and deep challenges. Uh, uh, he's dealing with heavy stuff on this campus. And I think RUF ministers often do. We just don't hear that much about the, the nitty-gritty part of it. But he was telling me about the, the eating disorders that many of the people, many of the students had. About, uh, about them struggling with being busy, about them struggling with their image and struggling with their performance. Sound familiar? Sometimes we can even begin, be, be looking for our, the life of our soul, the hunger in our soul to even be filled with church work with the physical act of church work church work is good but not when we go and we say let me fill my soul with the physical act of church work we can even come to worship and worship in a physical sense looking to get our hearts filled and not even in a spiritual sense and come up empty and you see, you see the focus on the physical even in her worship here when she's all hung up on the physical location of worship in verses 20 and 21. She's going back to the whole Samaritans. We're Samaritans and we worship on this, this temple we built up here. And Jesus is saying, you're all, hung up on the, you're all hung up on location. Okay, that's over with. I'm here 
It's about worshiping through me, physical, the, the spiritual, in spirit and in truth. J.C. Ryle wrote this, The most gorgeous cathedral service is offensive in God's sight if all has gone through coldly, heartlessly, and without grace. The feeblest gathering of three or four poor believers in a cottage to read the Bible and pray is a more acceptable sight to him who searches the heart than the fullest congregation which is ever gathered in St. Peter's at Rome. Vince Lombardi is one of my heroes in the sports world. He was, of course, the coach of the Green Bay Packers in the 60s and recognized probably in the world of sports as one of the greatest coaches in all of sports, in all of sports history. But see, Vince Lombardi would go to church every single day. He was a Catholic and they had mass every day. And he went to church seven days a week. Seven days a week. He counted his rosary beads. What was he doing? He was going to church in the physical sense, which is what this woman was doing. And he was trying to get his soul hunger and soul thirst quenched by the physical act of going to church. And maybe there's someone here today that, that is in that same place and you are you're where Peggy Lee was and you're saying, is this all there is? And you find yourself maybe really relating to what Jesus says in verse 13, whoever drinks of this water, physical water, will thirst again. And, and I would say to you that the answer to the question of where we're going to find soul life is not in a, the physical act of being in the church, although we need to be in the church physically, but where we're going to find it is the next thing we're look, going to look at here, and it's in the person of Jesus. It's in the person of Jesus and in our personal relationship with him. And you see that Jesus gently brings her to this in verses 20 through 24 where they have this, they have this back and forth over the physical, versus, physical worship versus spiritual worship. Physical worship versus spiritual worship. We worship on this mountain. You Jews worship in Jerusalem. That's where she's at. And Jesus is saying, no, the hour is coming and now is because I'm here when, in verse 23 when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. And finally, finally, finally they, they, come, they, they come to the point where she's looking for the true source of life, which is, which is him. She just doesn't know yet that the Messiah is him. Look down with me at verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. At least she knew that to look for the Messiah. The problem was is that the Messiah was standing in front of her and she didn't even recognize it. Not, a, not yet. Not yet. Because she was still trying to quench the soul thirst with the physical. And... When you read the rest of the story, and we read the, the, read the later verses in the chapter a few minutes ago, you, you, you see very clearly 
that it seems that she finally got it, didn't she? That the Lord Jesus finally brought her to a realization that I'm the Messiah. And she came to faith in him. And she went out and told the rest of the people in the town. And you saw in the later verses there that I read that they had come to faith in Christ partly because of what her witness was to them of Jesus. And we have to move, first of all, that we found that initial life in Jesus through trusting in him, through repenting and trusting in him. We have to know that we've been brought to that point, which is where she was brought to here. We have to come to that point first and foremost. But, and I would call you today, if there's someone here today that, that questions and wonder if I have, I would say come to Christ today because, because look at what he says in verse 10. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the living water is himself. And notice that he calls it a gift. It's not something that we can earn. It's not something that we can uh, get by our own efforts. It's a gift. And we ask, he says, you have asked. We simply must ask in faith and we receive it in faith, plain and simple. But what is the picture of a Christian who, who? What is the picture of a Christian who is finding their soul life, their soul thirst, being quenched in the person of Jesus Christ in that relationship? What does that look like? And let's let's look at that briefly here. First of all, we're going to see that this picture looks like someone who has their soul thirst, their soul quenched, satisfied. Look down with me at verse fourteen. Jesus says to her, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You know, when we come to faith in Christ at the very first, we're, we're, it's sort of like we, we go to Thanksgiving, which is coming up here. It's hard to believe Thanksgiving is upon us, isn't it? But... We go to Thanksgiving and we have a big meal and we sit back and we watch uh, the Detroit Lions lose to whoever it is they play that day, and and then and then uh, we're satisfied, right? But the next day, I don't know about you, I'm I'm looking for something to eat. Y'all can look at me and figure that out real quick. You know, we have their initial hunger satisfied, but, but, but we need something to eat going forward, don't we? And we have that same thing happen as a Christian. We have that initial hunger satisfied, that initial thirst satisfied, but then we need our souls fed even further. And that's what one of the things that Jesus is referring to here in John 15 Verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, getting the sap from the vine, getting fed from the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears fruit, much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And the, the Christian who abides in Jesus day to day certainly fails, certainly stubs her toe, 
certainly finds himself from time to time looking to the physical in some form or fashion because we're all still fighting with an old man and we will until we go to glory. But in general, this person, this Christian is more secure rather than they are insecure because their number one need is handled and they know it and they're, they're looking to the number one the only one that can supply the need, which is Jesus, to fill the number one need in their hearts, that soul hunger. And they're finding their self-worth in Jesus, and they're standing in a child of God rather than in physical things. And so, yes, they have struggles at work. They have struggles with their children. They have struggles with their grandchildren. They have financial struggles. They even have struggles at church. But they're not looking for their soul's hunger to be filled through fixing all these things. They're looking to Jesus. One of the, my favorite country music songs is, the name of it is A Satisfied Mind, made famous by Porter Wagner a long time ago. And The guy who wrote it, his name was Red Hayes, and Red was asked one day, about how he wrote the song. He said, one day my father-in-law asked me who I thought the richest man in the world was, and I mentioned some names. He said, you're wrong. It's the man with a satisfied mind. I think I would disagree with his father-in-law. I think I would say he's wrong. No, the richest man and the richest woman in the world is the, is the Christian who has had their souls satisfied in Jesus and looking to have their souls satisfied in Jesus. You see, it's only then that the, that the Christian is free to enjoy the physical without seeking to have their soul quenched, quenched by the physical. Do you see this? This is so vital. Because when we look into the source to get our soul hunger fed, then we can enjoy food and drink properly. Because we're not looking to get something out of it that it's not supposed to give. Then we can enjoy relationships properly, which is one of the things that the woman here needed to learn. We can enjoy church properly because we're looking to have our souls fed from the king of the church and not the church itself or church work. We serve out of a soul fed and satisfied by Jesus rather than serving to have the soul satisfied through the church work. You see the difference? So let me give you two quick points of application and then we'll close. The first one would be this. We're reminded very simply that we have to persevere in our daily walk with Christ because without a persevering, without abiding in the vine, John 15, and without an intentional by abiding in the vine and without saying, God, I need you to help me intentionally abide in you because I'll, I'll fall into the physical just like this woman. And without, if we do that, then we have at least a very sober-minded conscious consciousness about it, about how we're handling the physical and we're not looking for our souls to be fed from the physical. The second point of application would be that we, I think we need to remind each other from time to time that we're, that we're full in Jesus. You know, Colossians, Colossians 2 says, you have been given fullness in Christ. John 1, of his fullness we have all received. 
grace upon grace. I think we all have times where we need a brother or sister to come up to us and say, brother, I'm going to tell you this in love. I love you, but and I want to help you. But um, what you're what I think you might be doing here is looking for the looking for too much satisfaction in some of these physical things, and you're only going to find that in Jesus. You know what? I am doing that. Thanks for loving me enough to come tell me, because I was blind to that. Thank you. Of course, we have to be a, the type of person that would be open to receiving that kind of love and correction. I hope we all would be. And I hope we would have the love in us to correct a brother or sister when we saw that correction needing to happen. Because the fact of the matter is, there's not a human being, there's not a Christian on the face of this earth that doesn't need to be corrected from time to time on this, myself included. Myself included. We need to be helped to enjoy the physical that things that God gives us, and we're supposed to, by the way, but not to look for them to fill our souls. Only Jesus can do that. What do we need for life? We, we need physical and spiritual nourishment. But where are we going to find it, the spiritual soul nourished? Only in Christ and in that personal relationship with him. Let me close by reading a couple of stanzas from this song, A Satisfied Mind. I'm going to change the word of the last part of the part of the uh, each line. I'm going to take a liberty there for the sake of this sermon. Once I was winning and fortune and fame in the physical. Everything that I dreamed for to get a start in life's game. Then it suddenly it happened. I lost every dime. But I'm richer by far with a satisfied soul. Money can't buy back your youth when you're old or a friend when you're lonely or a love that's grown cold. The wealthiest person is a pauper at times compared to the man with a satisfied soul. When my life has ended and my time has run out, my friends and my loved ones, I'll leave, there's no doubt. But one thing's for certain. When it comes my time, I'll leave this old world with a satisfied soul in Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we... uh, you love us. You love us enough to inspire John to write this story down so that we could benefit from us, get benefit from it. Oh, Lord, we're, in so many ways, we're, we're very similar to the woman at the well. But yet, Lord, you were so gentle and kind with her to lead her and to gradually help her to see that you are the only source of the soul being fed. I pray, Lord, today that that you would help anybody here to see that if they're looking to the physical to feed their souls. We certainly thank you for the physical things you give us, Lord, but and we certainly want to enjoy them as you've told us in 1 Timothy 6, but yet we don't want to look for those things to fill that void in our heart that only you can fill. And so help us in these things. Make us to be open to be corrected and give us the courage to 
lovingly correct others when they see it, when they may need it. Help us, Lord, in these things. And now I pray, Lord, for this church. And I ask, oh, Father, that as the service ends, which is going here soon, that that you would lead and guide direct by your Holy Spirit in all that they do in this meeting. Father, that everyone would be spirit-filled and spirit-led and that as well that everyone would take a big breath and know that you got all things in hand. Be with us now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's now respond to God's word by singing hymn number 600, number 600, verses 1 and 3. Please stand.